Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. That's exactly who we are, man. It's exactly what Mike set out for us to do. Complimentary ball, getting the ball, owning it. Second from this moment for us, go. Family on three. One, two, three, family. Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, Dallas Cowboys getting the big win to start week 13. Mike Florio, Peter King with you for the next two hours to reflect on last night's game, get you ready for Sunday's games, and also we have to spend some time on one of the developments that occurred on Thursday afternoon. I thought Friday afternoon was the place where bad news went to die, some bad news came alive on Thursday afternoon, but we'll get to that. First, I say good morning and hello, Peter. Welcome back. How are you? Good morning, Mike. All well here. How about you? All is good, and it's Christmas season, and the house is gradually being decorated through no involvement of my own other than to carry some boxes up when they're full and down when they're empty. Otherwise, I stay out of the way, and the decorations are far better because of that. All right, let's get to it. Cowboys beat the Saints 27-17 to in the Superdome on Thursday night with Mike McCarthy out, Dan Quinn in as coach of the team. And it was an important win for the Dallas Cowboys, just big picture. They had lost three out of four. They were facing a desperate Saints team that had never lost five in a row under Sean Payton. Last time they lost five in a row was the Katrina year of 2005, Peter. Just from the perspective of the stakes, the Cowboys needed this one because last week it was the Eagles creeping up on them. This week it's Washington creeping up on them, and Washington plays them twice over the final five games. They needed to reestablish themselves to themselves, not just everybody else, but to themselves, that they were the team that they thought they were as of a few weeks ago. 
Mike, you know, the most stunning thing to me that came out of last night's game is now that the dust has cleared. The New Orleans Saints are the number 12 seeded team in the NFC for the playoffs. In other words, uh, it's not happening this year. And, you know, I never thought, really, I picked the Saints to make the playoffs before this year. And I just never thought at all, no matter who quarterbacked this team, that they would be so low and so sort of destitute at this time of year. But that's what injuries will do to you. And that's what perhaps misjudging your quarterback depth chart will do to you. Now, I believe, and you may or may not believe, but I believe that a lot of what happened last night with the kind of embarrassing performance by Taysom Hill, who fed into what every Taysom Hill doubter for the last two or three or four years has said, oh, Sean Payton, you're delusional. He can never be a full-time quarterback in the NFL. And they're all saying now, see, told you so. And I happen to think it is his, you know, Russell Wilson light injury that he got with the middle finger on his passing hand that they had to splint. And from then on, from that point of the game early on, he was just never accurate. Now, whatever. Who knows if that's exactly why. But he was just really inaccurate last night. And here's the play, you know, banging his finger, you know, on the forearm. I think that was Demarcus Lawrence. Um of the forearm and it was just never right and you could tell he was playing with it the whole game you know trying to get it right trying to straighten it out but for whatever reason it was just a a horrible night for the Saints And, and it's funny you mentioned Taysom Hill and obviously he's a big talking point coming out of that game yesterday Sims and I made the observation that there is as it relates to Tua Tonga Bailoa the group that we refer to as Tuanon, which is irrationally, zealously of the belief that he is the next Dan Marino and how dare you ever suggest otherwise. Tayanon is the other side of that. Oh, I've had a few of the Tuanons. (laughs) Well, and I've had a few of the Tayanons. There's this group out there that is always looking for any ammunition to say this guy sucks. Taysom Hill stinks. He's never going to be a good quarterback. I mean, Nobody said that last year when he went 3-1 and one as a replacement for Drew Brees. Nobody said boo about Taysom Hill not having the skills to play at the NFL level at the quarterback position. Now, he lost the job fair and square to Jameis Winston entering the season. He wasn't used as extensively as a jack-of-all-trades as he should have been. When you're paying this guy eight figures, what are you doing? And last night, he was unleashed. He had over 100 rushing yards. I mean, look... People have compared him to Lamar Lamar Jackson, and, well, I guess we can make an apples-to-apples comparison because they each had four interceptions in their most recent game. But at least Taysom Hill has, I busted my finger as an excuse for it. Hey, look, we'll find out what, you know, what his future holds because I think, look, if you're Sean Payton now, you've got to pull out every stop to try to win these games, obviously, but you've also got to be realistic. You're not running the table. Uh, you're you're not finishing ten and seven. You just you got too many injuries. You know, Mike. Last night I looked up on his touchdown on Taysom Hill's touchdown. 
to Lil Jordan Humphrey. Okay. There were two tackles playing who, you know, are not starting NFL tackles. Uh, and, you know, he had a he had a tight end, Garrett Griffin, uh, who is not a starting NFL tight end traditionally. Uh, and, you know, you look around the field and you look at all the guys who either weren't there at the beginning of the year or certainly weren't starting at the beginning of the year. And you just say, listen, you know, sometimes you're too beat up to be really good. And I think the Saints' other issue, and I do not want to go long-term, that's a topic for February 10th, but or February 20th now, after the Super Bowl. But at some point, you know, somebody's going to cast a critical eye at the Saints' salary cap, and they're going to say, this is not a one-year fix. This is going to take a while because that cap is wounded. Well, and when you have so much money tied into so few people and you have those injuries, and yet again, seven of the offensive starters entering the season, ideally. I mean, Michael Thomas gets included in that analysis, although I don't think at any point this season anybody expected to see Michael Thomas. It was kind of a surprise when we found out training camp time frame that there was going to be an issue with Michael Thomas. But still, the ideal lineup for the Saints. But Mike, Mike, you know what? You expected... You expected to see Michael Thomas, say, by midseason. Yes. And then a couple of weeks ago, you find out he's not going to play at all. That is one of the all-time disasters contracts because now you have to wonder, is he ever going to play again and is he ever going to be effective? And I'm not, I don't know. But when you miss most of two seasons, uh, I think he'll have played seven games out of whatever, 33 or 34, however, however many they've played. You know, you really have to start wondering and you have to have another surgery and all that. So anyway, I didn't mean to derail you. No, but but the point is they had all that money tied up in Michael Thomas and he deserved it. He earned it, uh, but he's not there. Alvin Kamara, all that money tied up in him. He deserved it. He earned it. He's not there either. He's missed four straight games with a knee injury. Jameis Winston, your preferred quarterback, isn't there because of the knee injury he suffered. You don't have your two starting tackles. I'm not making excuses for the Saints. It's just the reality. It's why I expected the Cowboys to win. It's why I expected them to cover. Yeah. I, I just no matter what you want to do as a football team, there's only so much you can do, and you're limited by right. who is and who isn't available. And look, Taysom Hill, <coughs> it's if if he thought that there was going to be some sort of clamoring for his services as a quarterback, all he had to say to the Saints was, "I'll just ride out my contract and become a free agent." He's the one that agreed to this hybrid Frankenstein monster of a contract that pays him a certain amount of money if he's not playing quarterback, pays him potentially more if he plays quarterback, and plays well. He's got to play enough, and he's got to play well to unlock the majority of the money. And if he's going to do it anywhere, it's going to be for Sean Payton in New Orleans. But I don't think, even with the finger injury and anything we expect to see over the balance of the season, I don't think Hill is going to do enough is going to keep the Saints from trying to figure out a way to make a dramatic upgrade at quarterback after the season, whether it's luring Russell Wilson to town, attracting Aaron Rodgers to town, trading up for, although they may not have to trade up very far if they keep losing, a rookie quarterback that they may want. But as you say, they're going to have to work more salary cap magic to make that happen because they're still paying for the contracts, the excess 
the star players that they've signed in the past, and they're not enjoying the benefit of those players in the present. You know, the other thing about last night's game, Mike, about the Saints is that defense is definitely good enough. That defense is a competitive defense. And, you know, Dennis Allen ought to get more than a few sniffs this offseason somewhere to be a head coach. But I'll tell you the one other thing that really struck me about this game. I've been thinking this. It's almost sacrilegious to say, but I think Tony Pollard's a better football player than Ezekiel Elliott. Right now, and, yes. You know, right now, yes. You look at you look at those two players, and you look at the impact that Tony Pollard has on games. And I understand. Just look at Tony Pollard. Look at the speed. And look at his instinct and how he says, I know I have enough, you know, to make the pylon right there. And, and, and I, just, I just have been watching this guy. We've all been watching him. And I keep saying, boy, if I were Kellen Moore, I'd start carving out a bigger role for him than eight carries a game. And I, I don't know what he's, what he's got, you know. But... I did look up Ezekiel Elliott today, and it's not that I think he's a bad player, but the fact is seven consecutive games on a good team where he's a franchise back, where he has not rushed for 70 yards. I mean, you know, sometimes we talk so disparagingly, uh, you know, about different backs and about why isn't this guy doing something? Why isn't that guy doing something? I think the Giants ask that question every week. But I, I'm really starting to wonder now about Ezekiel Elliott. Maybe it is his injury, but man, I'd rather have Tony Pollard carrying the ball more in a game than, and, uh, than Zeke right now. At least the Giants are coming to that conclusion before they make a significant financial investment in Saquon Barkley, at least more significant than the one they've made. But this all gets back to drafting quarter, not running backs in the top 10. Saquon Barkley, too. Ezekiel Elliott was a top 10 guy. Christian McCaffrey, a top 10 guy. You... Set yourself up for that second big contract. If the guy plays well his first three years, Elliott played really well. So his second contract, which is tying the Cowboys' hands now, part of that is paying him for what he did those first three years. That's why you just don't do it. You don't, you don't make that draft pick investment in the top 10 in a running back because right. you set the stage for what's happening now, whether it's general wear and tear, whether it's injury, whether it's just age and running backs age quickly in the NFL, Tony Pollard is the better player right now. Tony Pollard is making peanuts in comparison to Ezekiel Elliott, and it'll be interesting to see what decisions they make as they get closer to Pollard becoming a free agent, Elliott getting closer to a point where they can move on from him because they need the balance to make it work. And you're right. The Saints defense played well. They kept that game interesting. That game was close. Yes. That game could have gone either way until the pick six at the, yes. at the relative end of the game. And even after that, the Saints scored a touchdown right. to cut the deficit back to 10. So it, it wasn't over. And that's a, that's credit to the Saints. It doesn't matter because you still lost. But this is an explosive Cowboys offense. And you're right. The, the Saints' defense largely held them in check, but there was the dagger. There was the moment. There was under three minutes left. The Saints are going to be hard-pressed to score 10 points in three minutes, but, but still, they scored seven right after this touchdown. So, who knows? But, it, but it, it should have been worse. As bad as the offense was last night for the Saints, Peter, it should have been much worse for them 
in the final score, and their defense kept that from happening. Yeah, and, you know, there are so many good players. And, Mike, when I was watching that game, I kept thinking, man, I hate it that Cam Jordan's going to have a wasted season because as intensely as he plays and, you know, as short the the careers are of, of guys who play as hard as he does for so many snaps in every game, you know, I feel like, my God, don't waste this year. Don't waste any year of Cam Jordan. It's like I'm watching Marshawn Lattimore, uh, who's not consistently great, but he can be a superb shutdown corner. And you just say to yourself, man, you hate to see a year of the prime of these guys go down the tubes. And because, and look, how do you know what you've got next year? I mean, look, Mike, you know what nobody is talking about now? How about the Jameis Winston surgery, which was really a serious, serious surgery it wasn't just a run-of-the-mill, uh, you know, knee surgery. And so, you know, that may take 10 to 12 months to come back from. You don't know. And so, I mean, it's too early to know how long it's going to take. But what I'm saying is, you know, they may have a quarterback issue, a big quarterback issue going into training camp next year. So that that would be the second consecutive year where you don't really know if you've solved Drew Brees. And I think the only way it gets fixed is if they pull a rabbit out of their hat and they somehow get Russell Wilson or or, or Aaron Rodgers or, or, or somebody, which seems impossible with the cap situation that they're in. And I don't know that Russell Wilson is the answer currently that we would have thought. It's hard to tell with the situation yeah. in Seattle. And with Jameis Winston, I just think they say, see you later, thanks for the effort, because it's not like he was playing at a high level before he suffered right. that injury. I think Sean Payton saw enough through seven-plus games to say this isn't the guy just because of the lack of accuracy in the short passing game. That's where people took Drew Brees for granted. It was so much, oh, he can't throw the deep ball anymore. Yeah, but he can operate that underneath passing game to perfection even when there's no threat of a deep ball to pull the safeties away from the line. He's still distributing the ball accurately, crisply, efficiently to make that offense go. That's what they need, plus – the threat of the deep ball. If they can find that in one package, they'll be good to go, but it's a huge if. All right, let's flip it around, and let's let's give some praise to the Cowboys because our, yeah. our friend Vince, who hate-watches the show every day and sends me hostile emails because we don't give the Cowboys enough praise. Vince, this is just for you. We're going <laughs> to lavish praise upon the Dallas Cowboys now. First, let's hear from Dan Quinn and his backward ball cap having stepped in for Mike McCarthy to get the victory. Here he is on helping the Cowboys make it to eight and four. One thing you guys have heard me say before is I got, I love doing hard things with a group of people. And uh, this was one of those moments and uh, we got great people to get the job done. So uh, we wanted to make sure Mike and all the guys who missed, uh, let them know we got their back. And so honestly, it was the only thing I was nervous about. Like I didn't want to let him down, Mike, you know, to make sure we could, he's done a great job of leading us to how it's going to go down, the play style that we want to go. But uh, it was a, just a cool win, total team win. He talked about playing complimentary ball. And so getting the ball out a few times tonight, man, that was big. And so to have a four night inter- or a four interception night, that was huge. It was good being in the moment, but uh, I'm glad to give the keys back to Mike. So hopefully that'll be soon. 
Dan Quinn getting it done. Knows the Saints very well from his time with the Atlanta Falcons. And that defense has the capability to play at a very high level, too, and make things happen. We saw Trayvon Diggs get another interception. He's got nine. Michael Parsons is incredible. First rookie since Joey Bosa with a sack in five straight games. Set the rookie record with his 10th sack of the season. Cowboys defense, good enough. Offense, good enough. If they can just get some consistency, Peter, they can be a force in the NFC and they can go deep into January. And, you know, they're one of the teams and we're, we're waiting for one of these teams to just consistently put it together. No one seems to want to do it right now, other than maybe the Green Bay Packers. We're overlooking the Packers, how consistent they've been. But for the most part, there are flaws with these teams, but they're also, for the best teams, some, some very good things that if they show up on a regular basis, these teams have the capacity to make things happen in January. Look, Mike, I've, uh, I've thought this in the last couple of weeks, and it's almost like you don't want to say it because it makes you sound like a fanboy. It really does. But I covered Lawrence Taylor for four seasons in his prime, 1985 to 1988. And I saw him do some great things. And I'm just telling you that the closest guy I've seen to Lawrence Taylor in all the years since is Micah Parsons. And his pursuit, his instinct, that play that we showed, the sack, the 13-yard sack on Taysom Hill was the key point to quashing any hope that the Saints had in this game. Watch. I mean, Taysom Hill, he's, he's he knows that he's supposed to. you got to get rid of it. Can't take the sack. Can't take the sack. He, he, Micah Parsons did not let him breathe on this play. And all I'm saying is that this guy is doing incredible special things just 12 games into his NFL career. And Mike, I, 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 I don't know. I haven't really given this enough thought yet. But he's not only in the running for Defensive Rookie of the Year. He's in the running for Defensive Player of the Year, at least in my book. And I'm looking at the top 12 picks in the 2021 draft. It's always fun to do this, to look at the teams and say, you could have had... Michael Parsons instead of, and you could look at the lines and say Panay Sewell at seven, and Sewell has been disappointing so far. And it's that Parsons has been off the charts. Great. But one thing that stands out to me is a team that didn't pick in the top 12, a team that had the ability, if it wanted, to take Michael Parsons one spot before the Cowboys took him, and that would be, Peter, the New York Giants. They were there at 11. They opted to trade down. When they didn't get Devontae Smith, that was the guy that Dave Gettleman and company were locked on to. The Eagles bumped up to get Smith. So the Giants think, well, we can trade down and still get Kadarius Toney, and it worked out, but could have had Michael Parsons. Could have had the next Lawrence Taylor. What better place for the next Lawrence Taylor to be, Peter, than on the New York Giants? And, you know, alternate universe out there somewhere with just that one little tweak where they say, maybe we should take the kid from Penn State instead. You just wonder where the Giants would be right now. If they had done that with the 11th overall pick instead of trading down. But here's the interesting thing, Mike. I know the Giants really like Micah Parsons and thought about Micah Parsons. That was the word on the draft street. 
uh, in the middle of April. Uh, and look, it's hard to fault the Giants coming out of here when you're able to get, uh, you're able to move down, I think, nine spots, right? And pick up extra picks, including an extra one next year. So, and that one is going to be very high. So, I, and you're right. Obviously, knowing what you know now, you'd stay where you are and you'd take Micah Parsons. But I still think the Giants did a smart thing with that pick. Dak Prescott, after the game, talked about where the Cowboys need to go offensively. Michael Gallup showed up. C.D. Lamb was back. Amari Cooper got back into the flow. The running game we talked about, maybe it needs to be a little bit better from Ezekiel Elliott's standpoint, but Tony Pollard had that big run. Here's Prescott on what the Cowboys offense needs to do better as they go down the stretch run. Yeah, we've just got to be uh, more sound, more focused. As I said, I've got to stay disciplined and just playing play by play and not trying to put the dagger in them and uh, knock them out of the game. And uh, when you do that, as I said, that, that's that's why I was sloppy there. And that's why I was sloppy there, just trying to do more than um, what was within the plan, what they were giving me. Uh, and so we've just got to be more disciplined. I've got to be more disciplined in those moments. And as I said, just playing it out, trusting one another. And we've got to uh, be more focused in critical situations. Yeah, but it still worked pretty well last night. Now, again, we've said the Saints defense had something to do with keeping the Cowboys offense from exploding the way it could have, but it was still pretty good. Third down, that's where the Cowboys struggled. They were only two for 13 on third down, so they need to do some work there. But, but Peter, one thing last night, I mean, they'd been waiting for Michael Gallup to come back. And, man, the touchdown that, that he scored, the catch that he made. Unbelievable. Full speed. It happened so fast that you really, it was hard to appreciate what he did. But to make that, you know, falling out of bounds, like he froze himself in midair and jammed his feet down onto the ground as he was getting pushed out of bounds. It was incredible. And and uh, slow motion didn't do it justice. S- slow motion usually does justice to great plays. That's one that you need to consume full speed and and pay attention. And it, it was superhero stuff. The way he made that catch while falling, jammed both feet down, got them in just in the corner of the end zone, and then sprawled to the turf at the Superdome. It was incredible. And if he can make plays like that when you've got Michael Gallup doing or, or CeeDee Lamb doing his thing and Amari Cooper doing his thing, hey, that offense can be great. I'm going to take you back to late July. I'm at Cowboys training camp in Oxnard, California. And so I'm going to interview Dak Prescott, not on camera, but just talk to him. And it is it is COVID paranoia. I am 25 feet away from him in a chair sitting outside just to set the scene. But we finish up and uh, I pump fists with him. I said, hey, anything else you want to say? He goes... Watch out for Michael Gallup this year. Really, watch out for Michael Gallup. I've got such good chemistry with him. I'm so confident when I throw to him. Uh, I, I just, I, I think he could have a very big year. And when a quarterback says that, just sort of out of the blue, because I had been talking to him about how Tom Brady used to take his lesser lights, like Chris Hogan and Malcolm Mitchell, who were huge players in their comeback win over Atlanta uh, from 28 to three. But I, I, was t- I had been talking to him about that. And, and he basically said, you know, this, 
for our team, Michael Gallup is those guys. And I believe that whatever year it's going to be, this year, next year, whatever, he is going to be hugely important. And you really don't think about that when you think about a team with C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper. But last night he showed that while maybe he's not irreplaceable, he is a huge and important piece to that team. And I think there's an opening there if Gallup can develop to convince the Cowboys from a financial standpoint and to the extent there's any lingering frustration over Amari Cooper not being vaccinated and what it may ultimately do to the chase to get better seeding in the NFC. Because yeah. Jerry Jones clearly wasn't happy about what happened with Amari Cooper. If you can replace him from a production and skill standpoint with a Michael Gallup, then you do it. And Gallup injured for much of the year, but he's healthy, he's back, and he got it done last night. Let me flip it back around, circle back to the Saints, because I haven't heard what Sean Payton and Taysom Hill had to say for the Saints offense after the game. We talked earlier about Taysom Hill's struggles with the four interceptions. Let's hear from both Payton and Taysom Hill about Hill's performance in his first start of the season. And I thought, man, I thought he played with a lot of heart, a lot of guts. You know, we didn't help many in the first half. You know, I'll be honest with you. We got to catch that, that that first interception. We got we got to. It's the perfect coverage look we get. We drop a ball. They make a good play on it. Um, that's unfortunate. You know, I'm not going to rush to any conclusions, um, having not seen the, the tape or anything. But um, man, I feel like I feel like we did some things really well tonight. Um, and then we did some things really poorly. Obviously, it's tough to win a game when you turn the ball over four times. And so as you look at the stats and you look at what we did, that's that's obviously the, the thing that jumps out to you that's that's disappointing. You know, I made a comment to to Coach at halftime. I said, hey, I like some of these QB runs. And I didn't know we were going to call them all on, uh, on the next drive. But, uh, yeah, I felt like that was nice. It's just kind of nice to get into a little bit of a rhythm, um, get the ball moving, and... Uh, just get going, just get into the game a little bit. And, you know, I'm a physical player, and um, this stuff's fun for me. And as we said, he ended up with 101 rushing yards, only the third quarterback this year to do so. Lamar Jackson has done it a couple of times. Justin Fields did it for the Bears, and now Taysom Hill has done it. And he did enough that he's going to get the next start. And as you said, the playoff race may be over for the Saints at this point they were five and two that's what makes this five and seven record even more amazing I mean boom five and two goes to five and seven just like that they beat the the Buccaneers and and fell apart after that just amazing to think that they're still three and oh in the regular season against Tom Brady's Buccaneers and their last win came in the Superdome on Halloween against the Bucks, and they have not won a game since then. And injuries have a lot to do with it. But, hey, nobody's going to shed any tears for anyone. I'm, I'm sure that's one of the – we've talked about it before. It's one of the Bill Parcells sayings. It doesn't matter. You, you win or you lose. No one's going to say, well, they didn't have this guy, they didn't have that guy. You either won or you lost. Yeah. And for five straight games now, the Saints have lost. You know, Mike, I think about Taysom Hill, who – you know, you and I have spent time with him, uh, both at the Super Bowl, me in New Orleans. Uh, he's an eminently likable leader. That's how I would describe him. He's a guy who his teammates really like, in, in part because he sacrifices his body, you know? And he is an old school football player. 
Now, on that first drive in the third quarter that he was talking about, where he rushes for 42 yards and puts him in field goal position, and then it's 13 to 10, and you say, okay, they're in it. I guess I would just say this. I know that Taysom Hill says, hey, you know, I like some of those quarterback runs, but Sean Payton is smart enough to know that when you're a quarterback and you're consistently running between the tackles, you're not going to have a long shelf life. And you saw some of the hits that he took, some of the punishment that he took last night. Look, you compared him to Lamar Jackson on the, at the top of the show, okay? And that, to me, is the difference. Lamar Jackson, as a runner, is this generation's Franco Harris. And for those who don't understand that comparison, I'll tell you, Franco Harris knew where the sidelines were. Okay, and he knew that, you know, yes, I could probably get an extra yard and a half here, but instead of taking the beating that would consistently come from taking that extra yard and a half or burrowing for it or diving for it, I'm going to be here to play a full season. And that is what I fear if, hey, look, we could watch that game last night, Mike, and we would say that the best thing that they could do right now is a very heavy running, a dose of running of Taysom Hill. But I just think it's fraught with problems. And I think that you do that too long, and then it's going to be back to Trevor Simeon. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I think you're right. We say it all the time with every quarterback. Avoid contact. It's a basic matter of physics and overall medical science. You get hit. You get hit enough times, you're eventually going to get hurt. The Saints were hurt by... A very controversial blindside block call. We haven't touched on that oh yet. Oh my god! Let's now. The rule is a misnomer because it isn't always a blindside block that gets you penalized for a blindside block. And I remember when they passed the rule in 2019, and Sean Payton was on the competition committee at the time. There was a preseason game involving the Lions, and there was a blindside block called, and everyone was like, "What are you talking about?" Because we expect it to be a block that involves a defender who doesn't see it coming. Let's hear from Sean Hines Payton talking that about... Bengals linebacker. Exactly. Yeah. It was uh, Keith Rivers yeah. broke his jaw. L let's hear from Sean yeah. Payton talking about the explanation or lack thereof that he Please. got for what was a key moment in the game that, that may have, may have been the moment that swung the fortunes for the Saints. Yeah, I'm not real familiar with that type of... Uh block on that situation it's unfamiliar and that that he's you know he doesn't want to get fined there's the hit to the left of Taysom Hill and you know it's it, here's the here's the rule it's a foul if a player initiates a block when his path is toward or parallel to his own end line and he makes forcible contact to his opponent with his helmet, forearm, or shoulder. So, you know, the, he, he was moving parallel or toward his own end line, but he's trying to set a pocket. That's where the blindside block rule falls apart. He's trying to set a pocket when he does that. And it's just unfortunate that... There was no explanation of it last night. They got Mike Pereira available. I don't know why they didn't put Pereira on the screen to let him explain whether it was or wasn't technically a violation of the rule. It's a bad rule. It's a bad rule. 
the way it's written, it's a bad rule because it's not about a blindside block. It's not about where the defender is. It's about where the blocker is. But then NFL officiating, which was churning out little clips on Twitter last night, didn't have anything to say about it. This is, gets back to one of the, the themes of the season, the lack of transparency when it comes to these controversial calls because people want to know what's going on. I got a text from somebody who's been intimately connected to the NFL for years so this is the kind of crap that makes me think the fix is in. I know the fix isn't in, but this is the kind of crap that makes me think that they're out to get the Saints. Yeah, well, I don't know if they're out to get the Saints, but you know that would take a, an awful lot of fixing. But uh, I just will say this. When I saw that, I was incredulous. Absolutely, totally, 100% incredulous because the rule is, is on the books to protect a defenseless player who basically can't see what's coming. That's why this rule is on the books. And there, it was clear that that he saw exactly what was coming. And it was just, it, it wasn't even, it wasn't a clip. It, if you want to, if you want to, maybe you could call helmet to helmet. But it's very minor, very minor helmet to helmet. And look, you know, I, I'll, I'll keep coming back to this. It reminds me of so many calls this year. I believe that officials right now have such a hair trigger, uh, you know, ethos because they know that they are being looked at from so many angles. The replay official upstairs, Walt Anderson and his crew uh, in Manhattan, watching every play of every game, micro-analyzing. They know that they are under the most intense microscope that an offic officials have ever been under. And so if they see something that they think might be that call, they're going to throw the flag. It is exactly like the play the Saints got jobbed on with the hit to the helmet of Ryan Tannehill by Caden Ellis a couple of weeks ago, where the umpire, Barry Anderson, is standing right there. Watch. I, I mean, I hope we have the the the, the end zone view. Uh, I don't know if we do. Here, there he is. Now watch. There he is. Look to the... There he is. Barry Anderson. There's nobody in the way. He is watching it from four yards away. And he called that roughing the passer. And he said there was helmet-to-helmet -helmet contact, neither of which it was. And it prevented an interception. And I believe I believe that definitely had a huge impact on who won that game. But be that as it may, I think these officials are so hair-trigger right now that they're calling stuff that maybe they really don't see. And from that end zone angle, you can see Barry Anderson start to tug on the flag that he keeps in his belt like he's thinking about it. I hope he didn't wait to see the outcome of the play. Like if it was just incomplete, was he not going to throw it? If it was caught for a touchdown, was he not going to throw it? But because it was picked off by the Saints, was that the grain of rice that tipped the scale in favor of him pulling the flag out and throwing it on the ground? Because that was, as Sims has coined it, and we have used multiple times since then, Nothing the passer, not roughing the passer. But fundamentally, here's the problem, Peter. Instead of studying these calls in a group setting and having accountability and explanation and consistency and repetition, all these officials fly home and they take care of what? 
their other jobs, their primary jobs, the things they do 12 months out of the year, not five months out of the year. That's why the NFL has got to carve off some of the great Mamu and make all of these folks full-time officials and have them in meetings, video, in person, wherever, whenever, studying film and ensuring that everyone understands what is and what isn't a foul so they can have that training the same way that it is for the players and the coaches, the training, the repetition, the discussion, the experience. That is what bubbles up in those key moments and guides whether or not the flag comes out or doesn't. we got to take a break. They're going to throw a flag on us for going too long. We already have because we got a lot to talk about as it relates to the final answer that the NFL has reached. Two weeks later, Antonio Brown and two other Buccaneers suspended for misrepresenting their vaccination status. We'll discuss that next here on this Friday edition of PFT Live. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. I'd like to give you the floor on your reaction to the Tampa Bay Times uh, story that uh, Antonio Brown's vaccination card may be fake. What's your What's your reaction to that? It, it really, to me, there is no story. Uh, yeah, he he says he's vaccinated and has a card, just like everybody else on our football team. And uh, you know, there's a trust factor that goes along with it. And uh, we did our due diligence. All everybody at the league will look into the matter and do their due diligence. But it's really no story. You know, when we were young and we wanted to have a beer or two, but we were underage and somebody had a fake ID, we always went to the store that had the highest trust factor when it came to assessing whether or not we were actually 18. It was 18 at the time. That's how long ago it was. Look, here's the bottom line. The NFL had no choice but to get to the bottom of this. After Antonio Brown's live-in chef, who was stiffed allegedly on a $10,000 bill, We wouldn't have even known about this if Antonio Brown simply paid people what he owed them, allegedly. That all comes to light two weeks ago. Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, heroic by him because you put yourself into a tough spot when it's the team you cover and you you put a stick right into the underbelly of the organization as they're trying to get together 
get to the Super Bowl for a second straight year. They don't need this crap. And they they clearly, as we heard from Bruce Arians, Peter, thought it was a non-story. It's a non-story until it's not a non-story. It is a story. Right. Antonio Brown and two others, Mike Edwards and John Franklin III, who's no longer with the team, suspended three games for misrepresenting their vaccination status. I mean, the NFL tiptoed around this as much as they could. They lied. Brown, we know, based upon the reporting, submitted a fake vaccination card. They lied about their status. To me, that is the worst violation of protocol that anyone could commit. Because what you're doing is saying, I don't want to get vaccinated, but I want to have the benefits of being vaccinated. There's a huge difference in the protocols. I want the benefit without actually getting the shot. So what I'll do, I'll get myself a fake card and I'll tell the team I'm vaccinated so I can mingle and hobnob with all the people who don't have to wear masks and don't have to be tested every day and don't have to do all the stuff that unvaccinated players can do. These guys are lucky they only got suspended three games. I thought it should have been worse, especially for Antonio Brown, because he's got other personal conduct policy violations. I'm, I'm amazed it's only three games because, to me, this is the height of irresponsibility, and I think they should have come down on these guys even harder, Peter. Can I read you a quote from Football Morning in America on October 26, 2020, from the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after the Bucs reached agreement with Antonio Brown? Bruce Arians told me, and I quote, he screws up one time, he's gone. So, I mean, I don't know how you walk that back. I, I, I don't know. This is a screw-up. And not only is it a screw-up that resulted in a, in a league suspension, but it is a screw-up that should result in no one, no one in that building ever trusting Antonio Brown again. Because how can, when you, Mike, when you enter a new job and you're on double-secret probation... And you then violate what is an absolute headline, uh, you know, rule in the NFL this year. COVID protocols. You violate that. And you put everyone who you come in contact with, the 200 people in your building, you put everyone you come in contact with at risk. Because they don't have any idea where Antonio Brown has been. You live in Florida. You think Antonio Brown's wearing a mask all day? I doubt it. So, I mean, I don't know how the Bucks handle it, and but it's in black and white. He screws up one time, he's gone. Well, it's also in black and white that Bruce Arians said it's not a story. I mean, he said plenty of stuff that he'll just ignore. I mean, we are... We are in post-truth America, Peter. The things that we said in the past don't apply to us. They don't get, you know, we don't have to say, oh, well, I know I said I was going to do that, but here's why the circumstances are different. See, he's, no, no. The check that he wrote to you in October of 2020, he's just going to ignore it. He's just like he's going to ignore what he said to Rich Eisen two weeks ago. He will just ignore it. He'll come out and say whatever it is he has to say. He'll take questions on it. It'll probably be today. 
you know, the, the, no, no press corps that covers a team on a regular basis is going to be as aggressive as they need to be because they value their jobs and their positions. And if you're known as a chronic pain in the butt, your your job is much harder to do. So uh, this isn't a criticism of anyone specifically. It's just the nature of the beast. He's not going to get grilled today by the people who cover the team. He's going to say what he says, and that's going to be it. And I doubt that anyone is going to say, here's what you told Peter King in October of 2020. What do you have to say for yourself now? I'll be stunned if anyone says it. I hope someone does, but I'll be stunned if they say it. So post-truth America, none of that stuff matters. You can say up one day and down the next. You can say black one day and white the next. You can say X, then Y. It just doesn't matter anymore. And it's a sad commentary on where we are. But that's where we are. He'll just keep going forward because, Peter, it comes down to this. It's the old adage, excuses are made for the stars, examples are made of the scrubs. If Antonio Brown wasn't viewed as a key piece of the Buccaneers being everything they can be this year and how they've they've struggled a bit to be as good as they could be without Antonio Brown. They're even better with Brown. If he was just a, a middle-of-the-road guy that they could say, oh, well, Scotty Miller can do what he does, Jalen Darden can do what he does, they'd get rid of him. He'd already be gone. But because he's important to the cause to get Tommy number eight, to get the Bucks to back to the top of the mountain, they're going to keep him. That It's that simple. He would he would say, hey, I told Peter King back in October of 2020, one false move and Antonio Brown's gone. If they didn't think Antonio Brown was a key piece of the puzzle they're trying to put together to win another Super Bowl. It's that simple. And Mike, I think the one other thing to realize in all this is how valuable, and you touched on it a, a, a bit there, but how valuable he's become. When he's healthy, you can tell Tom Brady loves Antonio Brown and trusts Antonio Brown as much as any receiver he has. And so, look... You're in a 17-game season, and something's going to happen to Mike Evans or Chris Godwin. Uh, I, I I don't know what, something. And they're going to get Antonio Brown back fresh, uh, you know, in what, three weeks. And they're going to get him back for the last three games of the regular season. And I believe he's going to be, a, I mean, unless they all of a sudden get principled, I believe he's going to walk in and be an important part of their drive down the stretch, starting with that game against the Panthers in Week 16. And, and you know what? Here, here's the cynical side of me coming out again. It was just a week or so ago that I think it was Shefty who reported that Antonio Brown's ready to come back this week. And then earlier in the week, Bruce Arians said, well, it's doubtful he's going to play this weekend. Yeah, it's doubtful. He knew what was coming. This wasn't something that just popped up out of the blue yesterday. They knew which way the wind was blowing. So, you know, they, they kind of laid the foundation for, well, he really wasn't going to play anyway the next couple of weeks. So, you know, we wouldn't have had him anyway for this three-game suspension. He's just really missing one game because of it. I feel like that, that kind of subtle middle finger to the process is poking around out there because he's still injured. He still wouldn't have been playing. Maybe he would have been playing if he wouldn't have been suspended this week in the next two. And again... They said, they being the league, when this all came up, that it falls under the personal conduct policy. I'm confused as to why all three guys got three games. Because one of the things about the personal conduct policy, as it was beefed up by the commissioner back in 2007, when both Chris Henry and Pac-Man Jones got whacked on the same day, and that's when they made it clear that repeat offenders are going to get it worse. 
that the more violations you have, it's it's going to go up exponentially. If this is under the personal conduct policy, Peter, why wasn't Antonio Brown suspended more than Mike Edwards or John Franklin, who don't have the same history that Brown has of off-field misbehavior and suspension eight games last year under the personal conduct policy? Well, Mike, two things strike me about what you just said. Okay, one of them is that, you know, the NFL now has basically drawn a line in the sand and said to the 1,696 players who are active in the NFL right now, plus the injured reserve guys, he's, they've said to all of them, if you were found, were found to use a fake vaccine card, you're gone without pay for three weeks. And Mike, you know what nobody's talked about that's really interesting to me? Did you notice in the statement that the NFL gave that it was the NFL and the NFLPA? So I understand exactly what you're saying. Antonio Brown should have been more, okay? It should have been more. But when I saw this statement, I said, okay, the NFLPA signed off on this. And when you get the players union to sign off on a three game in season suspension for this, well, you know that, you know, that's, that is the union also taking this really seriously and not blindly protecting players at all costs. And so I thought that was a good part of this. And I understand I would have been a much happier with a longer suspension, but I did think when you have the union involved that three games is fair. Of course, I would have liked to have seen it a little bit more. But but the and the last thing I would just say about the 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 sort of volume and about Antonio Brown is that I I have found over the years in watching the league and in watching discipline when they do this they're saying to every other player in the league, you know, you better have your ducks in a row. And if I were a coach in the NFL this week, today, I would spend two minutes standing in front of my team and I would say, hey, you all gave us your vaccine cards and you all sent us photos of your vaccine cards or whatever. We have them all on file. I just want you to know that the NFL could look into your vaccine status and could look at those cards now. And don't be surprised if they do. If I were you today, if you have lied, I'd go get the J&J vaccine right now. And that might not protect them from, you know, further sanction from the NFL because they did lie at the beginning. But... I think this is going to be something that every coach in the NFL will pay attention to today in their meeting with players. Well, and I agree with you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't fix it. It doesn't change the fact that a fake vaccination card was previously supplied and that that player was violating protocol and in the presence of individuals who were vaccinated and they all didn't have masks on and the unvaccinated procedures weren't being followed by the player who wasn't vaccinated none of that changes it now I personally think Antonio Brown went out and got his vaccination his real vaccination once this all hit the fan with his former live-in chef 
beginning to make it clear he was going to let it be known that AB had a fake vaccination card. It doesn't change the fact that you previously supplied a fake vaccination card. And, you know, I got Not a few more things to say about this. And, and, and here's one thing that and this is a reason why. Bruce Arians should cut Antonio Brown. He should honor what he said to you in October of 2020. Bruce Arians had three different kinds of cancer. Tom Moore is 83 years old, their offensive consultant. By lying about his vaccination status, Antonio Brown was able to be right up in their faces anytime he wanted to be. He's vaccinated. He doesn't shed virus if he's positive. Oh, by the way, he was positive at one point this year and missed a game because of it. He doesn't shed virus onto other people. He doesn't potentially sicken other people. He doesn't endanger other people. And I know for the players, we think, oh, they're professional athletes. No, none of them are going to get seriously ill or dead from COVID. But you got an 83-year-old assistant coach, and you got a head coach who's had cancer three different times. You don't know what a breakthrough infection is going to do to them. I know the overwhelming majority of the people who are who are put in ICU and who are dying now aren't vaccinated, but people who are vaccinated, some are still getting very sick and dying. And those are the ones who have the comorbidities. That's, that's reason enough for Bruce Arians. If he has any principle whatsoever coach, and if you're watching this morning and I know you're not, you got far better things to do than listen to, to an idiot like me, Pete, I won't include Peter in that category. He's not an idiot, but Bruce, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, what the hell what if you have any ounce of principle whatsoever in your approach to your life, you tell Antonio Brown to get his ass out of here now, don't you, Peter? I would if I were him and I would say to my team, we had to do this. We gave this guy the chance of a lifetime. He won a Super Bowl ring last year. We gave this guy again this year chance of a lifetime. He understood he was on a one and done situation. Now, in doing this, he would alienate Tom Brady, I'm sure. But if I were him, I would do exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, okay, you mentioned what the league can do, what the league will do. That was the first question I had. And I sent an email yesterday to the league and the union. Same email. Hey, guys, I need an on-the-record comment. You're on notice now. You got three guys from one team that had fake vaccination cards or misrepresented their vaccination status. I don't know. Maybe the other two didn't have fake cards. I, I, don't, I don't know. I assume they all did. What are you going to do about it with your other 31 teams? Because surely this isn't the only place where it's happening. What, what kind of right. audit have you done? What kind of investigation have you done? I haven't That's gotten a response the from the union. I haven't gotten any response from the union yet. What the league said is this. They checked with every team to see if there's any difference in the positive rates among the 80% of the players who got vaccinated at the facility and the 20% of the players who got their vaccinations elsewhere. Because those are the ones that potentially have the fake cards. Because as to the 80%, well, they got their jabs here. It's not an issue. We, we, know, we know that it's real. You got 20% of the league, 20%. Got their vaccination somewhere else. So from the league's perspective, and Peter, I don't know. I'm not a statistician. I don't think the sample size is nearly big enough to say, well, the rate of positives that we've gotten from the guys that we know absolutely positively were vaccinated is no different than the rate of positives from the guys where we didn't see it. So who knows? Just because that rate isn't any different, and that's what the league said, there was no difference. That doesn't mean that some of these guys didn't use a fake card. 
because some of the guys who were negative may have used fake cards and just haven't gotten it yet. So I, I reject anything other than doing with the other 31 teams what they did in Tampa. And it's not every player, just the 20% that you didn't actually vaccinate them at your facility. How hard can it be? And the circumstances, in my opinion, Peter, demand that it be done. I think they should do it too, Mike. Now, I wasn't aware that 20% got it outside, 80% got it inside. If that is the case, then how difficult is it to check? And I'm going to, uh, I'm trying to, uh, 350 cards or, or whatever it is. I think it's about, it would be about 350 players' vaccination statuses. Now, Mike, as you know, when you get vac- vaccinated, you're handed a card, and on that card is a batch number and a site where you got, or at least it was for me. Um, you know, on my vaccination card, it says Hospital for Special Surgery, which is where I got it, out in Queens, in New York, and there was a batch number. So it's very easy to check whether those are legit and whether those are real. Now, you also get into the HIPAA violations or the HIPAA laws at that point. So I'm not positive that the NFL would be able to do that legally. But I would also say that they ought to be able to get the permission of every player who handed them a a vaccination card. Hey, yeah, go ahead and check out my card. I give you permission to look at this. Those who don't, they can cry civil rights or whatever, personal freedom, (laughs) you know. If you've got nothing to hide, why would you mind the NFL checking out whether you're correctly vaccinated? I, I, and I reject any effort by any player to say, how dare you poke around in my status? I think they've already yeah. signed all the appropriate paperwork to waive that. This is your employer confirming whether or not you truly complied with a key term of your employment that affects your rights, your responsibilities in the workplace. So... Whatever they would say when it comes to the question of it would be too hard to do it. Well, they did it with Antonio Brown, Mike Edwards, and John Franklin III. They did it in Tampa. So they can't say, well, we can't do it anywhere else. They did it in Tampa. And you still have an obligation, I think, to try to do it. Because you, NFL, and NFLPA are on notice that you have people who showed up with fake vaccination cards, lied about their status to you so they could avoid the inconveniences of being unvaccinated. And in that regard, Peter, I got a ton of respect for the Cole Beasleys of the world who said it with their chest, I'm not vaccinated. Because you know what? All Cole Beasley had to do was go get himself a fake card. And right now, as long as he paid his bill to his live-in chef, no one would know that Cole Beasley wasn't vaccinated. And uh, kudos to the guys who were honest about it, because I think it's far worse to just keep your mouth shut and lie about it and act like you're vaccinated when the team and the league believes you are and the truth is that you're not. You know, I never thought I would be praising Cole Beasley for his vaccination status, but Mike, you're absolutely 100% right. The fact is, in this country, whatever the percentage is, 35%, whatever, people are just not going to get vaccinated. It is a fact of life. 
And so what are we going to do? Go jump off a bridge because one third of the country won't get vaccinated? Just deal with it. Learn to deal with it. And I, I totally agree with you. I hadn't thought of it in that way, but you're absolutely right. Cole Beasley, everybody knows that when you approach Cole Beasley, if you're outside somewhere, you might want to give him a wide berth, you know, but you would not have known that with Antonio Brown because he was, he had a card that said he was fully vaccinated and I'm sure he was not walking around the facility with a mask on. So I, I, I agree. I mean, much bigger culprit here, much bigger is Antonio Brown. And falling in the middle and... I've already been told we know need to go to break, but but I, I need to make this point because I've been asked about this repeatedly. I wrote about it last night. People are curious as to why Aaron Rodgers wasn't suspended because yeah. he misrepresented his vaccination status too. Here's the simple difference. He didn't misrepresent his status to the league or to the Packers. They knew. Now, it's a different question of why in the hell they let him keep showing up in the press room Every time he had a press conference with reporters without a mask on, they let him behave as if he were vaccinated, but they knew that he wasn't. At least they knew that he wasn't. He lied to everybody else except the team in the league. That's the difference fundamentally between Brown and Rodgers. I'm not saying it's right or wrong to only find, well, it is wrong to only find Aaron Rodgers $14,000 for one violation that had nothing to do with his violations in the press room. But that's the difference. They knew the truth. With Brown, they didn't know the truth. They were lied to by the player. Absolutely. You know, there's nothing else to say. That is the difference. And you can hate Aaron Rodgers as much as you want. My Twitter feed is filled with people screaming about Aaron Rodgers. He should get it too. But the fact is, you get, you get disdain for lying to the public and misleading the public. You don't get suspended from the NFL for it. Excellent point. All right, let's take a break. When we return, the longest-running coaching rivalry in the NFL is renewed on Sunday. Mike Tomlin versus John Harbaugh together again. We'll get you ready for that game when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.